Well, if you would remain standing, we're going to come to now to God's Word. Today we are starting a series in prayer. We've just finished a series on the Word of God, and now we're starting a seven-week series on prayer. And this comes from the deep conviction that in order to flourish as a follower of Christ, and in order to flourish as a church, we must be deeply committed to the Word of God into prayer. And so in these first two weeks of the series, we're going to look at what Jesus says about prayer, and then we're going to go through the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, and we're going to go through a, a text on each one of those, and then a so what message, how do we move on from here, that's the next seven weeks, but today we're going to look at what Jesus says about prayer, especially about when we pray, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Matthew chapter 6, Starting in verse 5, I'll be reading through verse 8. It's also up here on the screens for us. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and let's come to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand and apply his word. Father in heaven, we are honored as always to be in your presence. We're honored that we get to come to you in prayer. And we ask that as we do so, even now, that you would open our minds Teach us new things about this relationship with you through prayer. Remind us of old truths. Convict our hearts, we pray. Help us, Lord, to implement what you want us to in this ever-important relationship, the most important we, relationship we have, which is with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off by asking you a question. It's a simple question and a probing question, but a question nonetheless. The question is this. Do you pray? Do you pray? This is the question that the late 19th century bishop J.C. Ryle asks in his wonderful booklet called A Call to Prayer. He asked, do you pray? Why does he ask that question? It's because, he says, a habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. Do you pray? The great reformer, Martin Luther, put it this way. He said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Now, if you know and love Jesus, intuitively, you know that prayer is important. But oftentimes, we can have questions about prayer, and if we're honest, as we evaluate our own personal prayer life, we are filled with guilt 
and shame many times. What's more, increasingly, people in our secular age, even here within the church, have adopted a view that we can address God however we want, that it doesn't really matter how we come to God. But Jesus is going to show us in our text today that that is not true. According to Jesus, not everyone who thinks they are praying to God are really praying. And according to Jesus, God the Father gets to set and dictate the terms of this relationship. So if that's the case, since that's the case, it's essential for us to know what God wants from us when we come to him in prayer. And that's what our text today is about. It's about Jesus helping us know what to do when we pray. Now, before we go any further, we need to be clear about what prayer is. What is prayer? Well, at its most simplest definition, prayer is a conversation with the living God. It's a conversation that was initiated by God so that we might get to know him and be in his presence. It's a conversation that is set uh, by him according to the terms of who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, so that we might grow to be like him and, and we might honor him and uh, worship him through this relationship. Well, to give some context of this passage, today our passage is smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you know that it's a, uh, a teaching, one of Jesus' longest teachings, where he's telling people who are citizens of heaven, this is what the heavenly kingdom is like. This is what heavenly citizens, this is what they do. This is how they operate. This is how they live. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember he talks about entrance into this kingdom. How do you get into this kingdom? He says it's only the poor in spirit who have the kingdom of God. It's only those of us who have admitted that we are in need, that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we come to God with absolutely nothing, that we need a Savior only those of us who have trusted in Jesus who can enter into this kingdom. And so this is a sermon for those who know and follow Jesus. And as we come to chapter 6 in this sermon, Jesus gets to the point of the sermon where he's talking about how to devote oneself to God. What are the practices that you should do if you're going to follow Jesus in this kingdom? And so he talks about three of them. He talks about giving and praying and fasting. And as he talks about these three subjects, he says this in chapter 6, verse 1, as a header over all three areas. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So first he goes through giving, and then he comes to prayer. And when it comes, he comes to prayer, Jesus wants us to know that our motives to pray matter, and that our understanding about God will determine our practice of prayer. So put simply, the big idea that Jesus is wanting us to grasp in our text today is this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. It's that our Heavenly Father rewards secret informed prayer that is offered by his children. 
Our Heavenly Father rewards secret, informed prayer offered by His children. And in our text today, in these just few verses, Jesus presents incorrect ways to pray, not like the Gentiles, not like the hypocrites, while contrasting them with the correct ways to pray. Now, one of those correct ways to pray is the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to get to that next week. But from our passage today, we can conclude these three action steps from that main point. Three steps that Jesus calls each of us as his followers to implement about prayer. This is what they are. First, pray. Simply pray. Second, pray secretly. And third, pray knowingly. He's calling us to pray, to pray secretly, and to pray knowingly. Let's think about that first action step, which is to pray. Right off the bat, we need to pay attention that in the text, Jesus assumes that his followers will pray. He doesn't say, if you pray, or if you feel like praying, but he says, when you pray. That's because for the Christian, praying is like breathing. It's the natural response of being spiritually alive. If you are spiritually alive, you will pray. Think of it this way. Three of my sons are playing basketball right now. I tend to talk about that a lot up here. And if one of my sons was just on the sideline and the coach were to come up to him and say, when you shoot, do this. My son wouldn't be like, hey, what are you talking about? Why are you, why are you speaking about shooting? He knows why he's speaking about shooting. He's his basketball coach. It's the same thing here. Jesus, as our master and savior, knowing that praying is natural to the Christian life, it's what Christians do. He's saying, when you pray, do this. When you pray, do this. Now, this wouldn't have been a strange command for faithful Jews at the time because at, in the first century, faithful Jews had established rhythms of prayer. They had set times of prayer, for sure at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. when the, the sacrifice of the temple was being offered. And many would also pray at noon. These times of prayer were set largely from Psalm 55. If you remember what David said back then, he said, evening and morning and at noon, I will utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. You might remember Daniel when he was in exile. At the risk of his life, he would still pray three times a day. This was the practice of faithful Jews at the time. It was also the practice that early Christians continued even as they came to know Christ in a full way. Some of the most important acts of redemptive history occurred during these very set times of prayer in the early church. Think about it, Acts chapter two, the early disciples were gathered at 9 a.m. at the time of prayer, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John went to the temple to pray. That was the time of prayer. And they healed this man who was a beggar, who was lame. Then in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who was, he went up to the housetop where he was staying at the time of prayer, at noon, to pray. And that's when God revealed to him his plan for the Gentiles, that they would be saved. Major events in salvation history happened through these very set times 
of pray. So, prayer. So the, the point is, is that Jesus assumes that you and I as his followers will pray regularly. But if we're honest, in our Western secular age, many of us struggle with prayer. I was looking back at a 2019 study that Crossway Books put out. They surveyed over 14,000 people and asked them about their prayer life. And the biggest percentage of people said they pray 10 minutes or less per day. Not very much prayer. This week I sent out a survey to our congregation and that was the same thing. The largest percentage of people, 10 minutes or less in prayer. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's, make, it's to make us realize that we are out of step with Christians throughout the ages. We're out of step of what Jesus expects from his followers. So the question is, why don't we pray? What are some barriers to prayer? Well, for many of us, it's just that we don't make it a priority. For some of us, it's because we don't understand prayer. We don't think it actually does anything. For others of us, we're just so distracted. We can never focus for a moment when we're praying. It's hard work. It feels like a spiritual battle. For many of us, if we're honest, we just don't desire it. We have no desire to pray. Prayer is often something that we're convinced that we should do, but in practice, we don't do as much as we'd like. So it may not be that we're praying wrongly, it's just that we're not praying much at all. And so wherever you find yourself today, wherever you're at with your personal time with the Lord, your personal prayer life, my question would be, how could you take one step forward, even this week, in your life of prayer? And I would suggest the way to do that is not by uh, willpower alone or just developing a schedule. The way to start to take a step forward in prayer is to come to the God that you are praying to. Come to him in prayer. Prayer is a relationship. It's not a system. And admit where you're at. Admit your struggles. Admit that you don't have any desire. Admit that you have failed time and time again and that you need his help. And then, once you've done that, when you're asking for his empowerment, maybe you can try, if you don't regularly have a set time of prayer, just look in your calendar and, and say, when do I have a five to ten minute slot during the day? I guarantee every single person in this room has one. We find time for the things that are important for us. When is a time that I can set aside to spend time with God if I'm not already? Or maybe you are setting aside time right now with God, but you think, well, I checked that off, and that you go throughout your day. Maybe you can think about incorporating prayer within your daily life. Remember Nehemiah, he had a really important job. He was the cupbearer to the king. And when the king came to Nehemiah, what did Nehemiah do? He prayed, and then he responded to the king. We can pray throughout our day at work. We can pray as we have troubles with our family. We can pray in every, in every situation of life. But it's not just about setting aside time to pray. Jesus says there is a right and a wrong way to approach prayer. Our motives matter. 
and our words matter to Jesus. And he addresses our motives in this next section, and it leads to the second action step if we're going to be praying according to Jesus' will, according to his commands. The first action step was that we just need to pray. Some of us just need to pray. The second is that we need to pray secretly. One of the main criticisms, as you know, of Christians is that we are a bunch of hypocrites, that what we say we believe and what we actually believe are two very different things. It's the reason why many people won't even consider the claims of Christ. It's why many people won't darken the door of a church because they say, well, those Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if that's you this morning, if you uh, despise hypocrites and hypocrisy, you're in good company because so does Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, Jesus here is almost certainly referring to the scribes and the religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites throughout the Gospels. If you flip forward in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, he has a whole rant where he goes off and, on the scribes and Pharisees and calls them hypocrites in various ways. But what is a hypocrite? Well, the Greek word there, it's really a theatrical term. It's a term for a play actor, one who is performing a role, one at that time who literally was putting on a mask. It's a pretender. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't pray as a pretender. Don't pray in a way that makes you seem a way that you really aren't. Jesus exposes their faulty motives for prayer, these hypocrites, in the second part of verse 5. He says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Some scholars tell us that uh, during these set times of prayer at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., some religious leaders would be very strategic. They would find the most busy place when those times would roll around. And when those times would roll around at 9 a.m. or 3 p.m., they would start praying in public. And they found strategic street corners. They found the synagogue to be praying just so that others would see them. They craved other people's praise and adulation. When telling us what the hypocrites love, notice what Jesus does not list. Hypocrites don't love God's glory. Hypocrites don't love the chance to commune with the living God. Hypocrites don't love the joy that comes from abiding in Jesus. Instead, they love to be seen by others. They love to be seen as holy. They want to pray in public to be noticed. They love admiration from others. If you were to boil it down, they love their own glory and not God's glory. So Jesus says... Don't be like that. Here's the bottom line from Jesus, what he's saying for us today. When you pray, he's saying, don't pretend. Don't perform in any way. Don't be concerned about how spiritual or holy you might sound to others. That's what the hypocrites do. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. But if you've been a Christian for long enough, you know this temptation. 
You know when you've been in a small group of people how you're tempted to pray in a certain way. Or maybe you don't pray because you're afraid you don't sound holy enough. It could go both ways. It should frighten us that we can even be doing an activity that God commands us to do, like praying, and do it in a sinful way, and do it in a way that's really for ourselves and not for God. The great church father, Augustine, said this, due to our sin and our ignorance, we miss the mark. We turn what should be good into evil, and our love is disordered. He talks about these disordered loves. Well, when we pray like hypocrites, Jesus says, there is a reward, although it's not from him. Listen to the final sentence in verse 5. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You see, the reward for praying like a hypocrite, it comes immediately. It comes through others' praise of you, of what they think of you. But it doesn't go beyond that. Your reward has been given if you pray like a hypocrite. Friends, God is not fooled by our religiosity. He is not fooled by what we are pretending to be before others. God does not reward the prayer of hypocrites. So he tells us, Jesus here, how we can fight this temptation towards hypocrisy in verse 6. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The philosopher Blaise Pascal famously said that all of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit in a quiet room alone. Well, here Jesus is telling us to go to a quiet room alone. He's saying that the way to avoid hypocrisy in prayer is by praying secretly with no one else around. Praying secretly is the antidote to praying like a hypocrite. Jesus here gets very specific. He shifts from these plural verbs in verse 5 in the Greek to singular in verse 6. So here he's not talking about corporate prayer. Of course we should pray corporately. We should pray as a church. We should pray in groups with one another. That's uh, seen throughout all of Scripture. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, not corporate prayer. He's talking about your personal prayer with the Lord. And he says this, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father. So look what he said. Go to your room. You're not in trouble. Normally when kids hear that, that means they're in trouble. Go to your room. And in the first century, your room was uh, the inner storeroom of the house. There was oftentimes only one door in a first century home, and that door was for that storeroom. He's saying, go into that room, that private room, and shut the door. It could be translated, lock the door. The point is that he's saying, get in the most private place possible where no one else will know what you're doing. And then when you're there, pray to your father. As a, as a pastor, a lot of times I hear that a hindrance to prayer is thinking that when you pray, nothing is happening. Like it just hits the ceiling and comes right back down. Well, Jesus uh, says that this is not true. He says when you get alone with God in a private place, Jesus says the Father is there. That's where the Father is. He's in secret. Now, of course, from the whole of Scripture, we know that God is everywhere. We know that He is omnipresent. 
But if you want to meet with God, he says that's where he is. He's in the secret place. He meets you there in the secret place. And friends, this is not drudgery. This type of prayer is not merely a chore to obey from Jesus. No, there are huge benefits awaiting us in that secret place of prayer. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of verse 6. He says, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This word that Jesus uses for reward is the same word used for wages or payment. He's saying that your payment, your reward for going to the secret place, or, or you will be rewarded to go, go into the secret place. He doesn't actually tell us what that reward is, interestingly. Why doesn't he tell us? Well, I think it's because the rewards are so manifold. There are so many rewards. But I do know this, the biggest reward that when you go to the Lord in secret prayer is that you get him. You get the Lord. Remember what the psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you go to the secret place of prayer, you get everlasting joy, unending joy. You get peace that passes all understanding. You get uh, <clears throat> fruitfulness for ministry. You get the fruit of the Spirit. You get your burdens released in the presence of the one who can release those burdens. You get your perspective shifted. There are so many rewards when you go to the Lord in that secret place. But the rewards aren't just here and now. They continue on into eternity. And we don't even know all the rewards that will come from that secret time of prayer. We don't know how many people will come to Christ as a result of those prayers that we made in the secret place. We can't see what God is doing through all of our prayers. But so many of us, so many of us are missing out. We're missing out. We think prayer is boring. We think it's something that we have to do, like going to the dentist, not something that we get to do. And that, my friends, is one of the greatest deceptions of Satan. It's one of the greatest deceptions of our sinful flesh, that prayer is somehow boring, that prayer is somehow not worth it. Jesus says quite the opposite. He says secret prayer is where the treasures are. You want the treasures, you want God himself, you go to the place of secret prayer. The world says, oh, that's boring. There's nothing happening when you pray before God. Even your flesh is telling you that. But Jesus is saying, no, that's where the action is. What a lie we have believed when we think prayer is not worth it. In a much often quoted uh, uh, quotation from C.S. Lewis. He says this in The Weight of Glory. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily Please. Friends, we are far too easily pleased. There is infinite joy available in the secret place of prayer. 
God himself promises to meet with us. The living God promises to meet with us in the secret place of prayer. And if you want to not be a hypocrite in prayer, if you want to know the Lord, if you're drifting in your relationship with the Lord right now, you need to go to the secret place of prayer. It doesn't mean you can't pray in other places. It doesn't mean you can't pray with Bible study and in public and at our church prayer meeting that we have next week. You can pray in all those places and should, but that should be the tip of the iceberg. What's underneath the iceberg is that secret private place of prayer. If you just take a quick poll in, of your life and you say, when do I pray? And if the answer to that is at mealtimes, at small group, and all these other public venues then you are neglecting that secret place of prayer. So on a very practical level, I just want you to think about, just for a moment, where can you go this week, today even, to be alone with your Heavenly Father? Completely alone. You can go somewhere. Jesus found all sorts of places to go. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He would go to desolate places and pray in the wilderness. Now today... Maybe a little bit cold to do that if you go in a desolate place, but you, you could try that. You might be a busy mom and you don't have a moment to yourself throughout the day. Just listen to the testimony of Susanna Wesley. She had 10 kids. You know, the Wesley brothers, uh, John and Charles Wesley, they wrote all the hymns, uh, started Wesleyanism, all that kind of stuff. At certain times of the day, she would pull up a chair with these 10 kids. She put an apron over her head and she would pray, and her kids knew, this is my secret place of prayer. Do not interrupt me. So I don't care what stage of life you're in, if you're a busy CEO or a busy mom, you have a place you can go. It might be in the car when you're driving. It, keep your eyes open. It could be all sorts of things. The point is not exactly where you're going to go, but that you go regularly and withdraw into this place the secret place with your heavenly father. I'll come back to that question. Do you pray? Do you pray? Tim Keller wisely said, prayer is how, remember what Augustine said about our loves being disordered. Tim Keller said, prayer is how the loves of our hearts are reordered so that we love God first and everything else second. Do you think the loves of your hearts are disordered right now? As you look at your life, are you putting time with the Lord at the very top of your priorities? If the answer is no, probably your loves are disordered. And the way to remedy that is the secret place of prayer. Well, implied in Jesus' teaching, in his commands, is first to pray. And now, second, we said to pray secretly. The third action step we observe in this passage is to pray knowingly. So not only does Jesus not want us to pray like the religious hypocrites, when we were in that place of prayer, in that secret place of prayer, he also warns against copying the practices of those who do not know God, the Gentiles. Listen to verse 7. And when you pray, that verb is kind of like in when you are praying, it's a little bit different than the first two verbs. So when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Here Jesus is saying that it's not the amount of time spent in prayer that matters. 
It's not the number of words that you are saying that matters, but it's what you're saying. It's where your heart is as you are praying to God. You see, at this time, apparently the Gentiles, you know, those outside of Israel, they prayed for a long time. They had practices of crying out to various gods, incantations that they would repeat. They mindlessly repeated and babbled over and over. They were hoping to get the attention of a God. And when they got the, the attention of God, that they could manipulate that God by their many words. They thought by their many words they would be heard. You might remember the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's kind of this situation way back when. Those prophets were cutting themselves. They were moaning. They were doing all sorts of things, trying to get their God's attention. Jesus says, don't be like them. In in opposition to that, Jesus wants us to know the one to whom we pray. That's why we pray knowingly. Listen to verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus reminds us that God the Father doesn't need an information download in prayer. In case you forgot, God knows everything about your life. He knows you better than you know yourself. He has made you. He sees every detail of your life. He knows every thought of your life. He knows every intention of your heart. He knows every one of your needs before you even come to him and ask. So when we pray, we don't need to give God information. If we want to give him information, that's great. It might be us processing information. But it's not so that God learns something. God is all-knowing. You cannot add to God. There's no information that will be new to him. He's not relationally deficient that he needs us. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him. But don't pray as if he doesn't know already. He does know. So it's not designed for you to give information to God. This is one who knows you. He fully gets you. He has everything that you need and is ready to help you. Prayer is also not about how long you pray, as if God is impressed by how much you can say. If you are one who says, yeah, I pray for 30 minutes a day, and you're hanging your hat on 30 minutes a day, that is the wrong heart, my friends. If I was going on a date with my wife, and I said, you know what? We spent 30 minutes together, and then at 30 minutes, I left the restaurant because my time was up. It would make no sense to you. But that's often what we do with God in prayer. We, we look at the watch, and we think, if I hit this time, I'm good. I'm checked off my box. Friends, prayer is a relationship. It's not a system. It's not a mechanism. Well, if it's not about giving information to God and prayer is not about how long we pray, it does beg the question, why do we even need to pray? God, God knows everything. And the answer to that is that prayer is for us. Prayer is that we might be changed Because when we come into the presence of the living God, we are changed. We, uh, again, God doesn't change at all when we come into his presence. We are the ones that need to be changed. So prayer is about coming to your heavenly father, to the one who knows you. He knows you better than anyone else in the world, more than your spouse, more than your best friend, more than anybody you can think of. 
He's the one who created you. He has ultimate power to accomplish anything in this world. And if he doesn't give it to you, there's a good reason why he doesn't give it to you. He's a wise heavenly father. But when you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. I mean, those of us who have kids, we know what it's like to give things to our children, even when we don't want to, because we just love them. Last night, I gave my kids uh, concessions at a game just because I love them. Five dollars for a piece of pizza. Who would do that? Well, I did it because I love my kids. Our, our Heavenly Father, God, Jesus like, you know, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your perfect Heavenly Father? Some of us are like, man, you're just, why won't you give me this, God? Well, He knows. He's got your whole eternity in mind. And if He has not given you something you're asking for, there's a good reason for it. You can trust Him. He knows you. He's fully aware of your needs. He wants you to come to him with those. So Jesus is saying, do not be like the Gentiles. Or maybe in today's vernacular, do not be like non-believers or people from other religions. Don't copy them and their methods of prayer. We don't operate according to their rules. We follow Jesus. We follow what he says about prayer. And if we want to grow in prayer, this comes back to praying knowingly. Again, it's not a system. It's not about checking things off a box. It's about getting to know God better. You want to grow in prayer? You need to learn who he is. Where do you learn who he is? You learn who he is through his word. And that's where prayer and the word are so intertwined. When we go to that secret place of prayer, we want to go with open Bibles. You don't know what to pray for? Well, you've got the whole revealed will of God that you could pray through at any given time. He's given this, these tools so that we might know him better. Well, by way of application, I just want to address three mistakes in prayer that could be happening amongst us. I know they happen in my own life, so I'm hoping they happen in your lives as well. And then three mistakes and then how we might overcome them. The first mistake is that maybe you've adopted a real legalistic stance about how long you need to pray each day. So whatever it is, you have a time in your mind, I've got to pray this amount of time. When you pray that amount of time, you feel good about your day. When you don't pray that amount of time, you feel guilty or shameful. You're treating prayer as a system. It's not a relationship. Again, I go back to my wife. There's some days we have scheduled a date and we can't go on a date. And it doesn't mean I don't love her because we didn't go on the date that day. She understands. She knows my day. This is a relationship. So earlier we learned that we should set aside time to pray secretly to the Lord. But let's not start to dictate the exact amount of time. Now, of course, it's appropriate to pray uh, not just short prayers, but long prayers. Jesus prayed all night long. But we read in Ecclesiastes 5.2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. We don't need to just multiply words endlessly and mindlessly. We need to pray to the God who knows us. And as we know him better, we'll be able to pray knowingly. 
So it's not that we need to pray short. We can pray long like Jesus. The early church prayed. We're commanded throughout the New Testament, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, to pray continually. So it's not about length. It's about quality. It's about the one that we know and who knows us. As we get to know him, we'll be able to pray better. So that's error number one. Maybe you've adopted this legalistic stance and you need to kind of be broken out of that. Number two, another mistake we can make, maybe you don't have any confidence in what to say when it comes to prayer. Well, this is a big plug for coming back next week because we're gonna talk about the Lord's Prayer and he's gonna give us a very template of how God wants us to pray. Pray like this, he says. Now, if you can't be here next week and you you wanna preview, the the Lord wants us to come to him as we are, not as we want to be. Many of us feel like we need to clean up before God before we come to him in prayer. He wants us, the real us, not the Facebook us, not the church us, not the us at our work that we're trying to project this image. He wants the real you. So come to him as you are, and next week we'll talk about what he wants us to say, what, what he wants us to focus on. The third mistake, maybe you have adopted unbiblical teaching about prayer and what God is like. Maybe you have bought into that lie that prayer is a system. You've forgotten that prayer is actually a relationship. Friends, prayer doesn't work. God works through prayer. Prayer doesn't work. God works through prayer. This is a relationship that needs to be built. It's a relationship with the living God. And this God to whom you pray is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. If you want to grow in prayer, you need to grow in your knowledge of him. And you do that by spending time with him in his word and alone in prayer. So God wants us to pray knowingly, understanding the one to whom we are praying. Now, with all this talk about prayer, I suspect that some in this room are feeling, wow, I've I've really missed the boat. Some of you already know you've missed the boat. You feel like you've tried and failed to pray over and over again, and you're like, why is, why is it so hard? Others of you feel like I'm soaring in prayer. So there's a lot of different uh, people represented here, I'm sure. But I want you to be reminded, wherever you are today, in your walk with God through prayer, that there was only one person in the history of the world who prayed exactly as God the Father wanted, who prayed the Father's will every single time and was heard. And that one, that only one, died for us. He shed his blood so that we might be able to approach God's throne with confidence. The curtain, friends, has been torn because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. He has allowed us and allows us to enter freely into the holy of holies. And as we seek to grow in prayer, we need to rely on him. We need to rely on him knowing that he is praying for us at this very moment. He is interceding for us. He has also given us his spirit who helps us in our weakness. Many times we don't know what to pray for, but the spirit helps us, Romans says, in our weakness and with groans and words that we can't even express. You have help from Jesus himself. You have help from the Holy Spirit. This is not about pulling yourself up from from your bootstraps. 
You have help from God himself when it comes to prayer. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, some of this may not make sense to you. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is praying for you even now. He is the one who's going to unlock prayer for you. So what a joy it is to get to know our Heavenly Father through the vehicle of prayer. I'm going to end as I started and ask you the question, do you pray? Do you pray? I trust that you do, and, and when you do, pray secretly, Jesus is saying, and pray knowingly, and God the Father will reward you. And the rewards are far greater than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are in awe of you. We are humbled that you would make a way for us to know you, us who are sinful, who have inclinations that are abominable to you, the inclinations of our heart. We go astray, Lord. We seek our own way, and yet you have pursued us. You have sent your son Jesus to die for us. The one, the perfect prayer, the one that we can look to for all things, the one who empowers us. Because of Jesus, we can come to you not in guilt, but in freedom. Because of you, we can, because of Jesus, we can come to you in power, knowing that there's power through your spirit. And so, Lord, would you transform us? Would you give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness to know you in the secret place? And I pray for those, any who don't know you today, that they might hear the voice of Jesus who is calling out, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, we, we all want that rest for our souls. We pray that you would give it. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.